Oh, hello. Uh, you caught me admiring my Eberly stock bag. I have a few of them. And uh, the reason I admire it so much and I love using their gear is because it's amazing. So the, one of the other reasons I love Eberly stock is they support uh, military and law enforcement openly. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is there are other companies out there where they will make gear specifically for us, but we're more like a dirty little secret. Where Glenn Eberly, the founder and owner of Eberly stock, is a veteran, a former Olympian, and a proud supporter of not only law enforcement, but also military folks. And on top of that, they make the best gear and apparel, the bags and apparel that I've ever used. So head on over to Everly Stock, put in the ones ready code for your 10% discount, and make sure that you're supporting the folks that openly and honestly support us. Appreciate it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the ones ready podcast. We're happy to have you. Uh, as always, we have the comedian Aaron Love with us, and we have a, a friend of mine who we go back, what, at least since uh, 2016 or something like that, Spencer. So we have Tech Sergeant Spencer Boss. He's an SR guy, an SR dude, uh, and he's actually a cadre member down at SWIC, our Special Warfare Canada course. So thanks for joining us, Spence. Yeah, happy to be here. So, yeah, man. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? That way we can discredit you immediately and uh, and move on to other things. <laughs> yeah, uh, too easy. I came in 2011. I uh, came from the history of the uh, Air Force. So great-grandfather was in the Air Force. Father was in the Air Force. So naturally, I came in the Air Force. Um, decided to go, uh, at the time, South T, because it just sounded like a pretty cool gig. Uh, the way it was pitched. I would later find out that the recruiter had no idea what he was talking about, but it's essentially <laughs> what I was told is what SR is now. So I uh, came in, did that for a little while, uh, graduated pipeline, uh, went to the 2-3, where I was on red team for a little while, and then later on moved to gold team, and I was, I've was been there since. Uh, just got to SWIC about six months ago, five, six months ago, so I'm just kind of getting to the groove of things right now. But it's, it's pretty cool. just finished my second class. That's about me in a nutshell. As far as SR experience, uh, I've been mostly on a PR team. So I know what the book says. However, I haven't actually done the new SR job officially. Right. But, okay, so you didn't, you spent a, a decent amount of time on team as a South T. Yeah. Still kind of doing a lot of the SR stuff, though, even though that transition hadn't actually happened. And the reason why I know is because we were on team together. Um, and, you know, I'm sure you know this already, but like you were one of the go-to, like between you and, and Riggin and some of those guys, you guys were always the go-to dudes that I would, as a team sergeant, I would always hit. Aaron knows exactly what I'm talking about. There's always a handful of people that right, wrong, or indifferent, you're always going to and have a habit of burning people out. Um, so I'm <laughs> sorry for that if I did that. But no, um, I didn't. But but you were you were you were part of a, a personnel recovery team, and, but you actually went and did some PR stuff. I think in Puerto Rico, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yep. Uh, yeah. In I think it was 16, maybe early 17. They had like the back to back hurricanes. We actually blew it down there and kind of helped out with some of the islands down there. But uh, yeah, to, to speak your point, yeah. So when I came in, uh, within six months of being at the two three, I went and did a crew rotation with the recce team over there at Seventh Group. Did about five months with them. And then I've done uh, AZR, T, or GA deployments. Uh, so I kind of got the 
airfield surveys and whatnot. Then I did some of the uh, more like kind of not clandestine, like low vis type stuff, like plain clothes stuff, going around working out. And then I did the the PR thing over in Africa as well. Kind of got the broad spectrum of working with different teams from SEAL teams, ODAs, some MARSOC teams. So, yeah. So even though you might not have. uh... Yeah, even though you you might not have had like those those mythical two letters, those those SR letters attached to your name, you were still really supporting, you know, strike access and recovery from the two three. Like that's that's really cool experience because we get those questions a lot. How does SR fit into those mission sets? And people I don't know why, but people can't put the the capability inside of that mission set. Like having an SR guy on a PR team or on an airfield seizure team is invaluable. Like the things yeah. that you provide for close reconnaissance or for blue force tracking picture or for all the way down to, you know, what you were talking about going, you know, these and doing, you know, kind of the plain clothes, um, that AV FID mission. But those, those things are invaluable that, uh, that Tau T provided before and now, you know, SR does now. So, man, it's, it's awesome to hear that you got, you know, that time in at the two, three, um, seeing all those mission sets. That's really cool. And it's, it's cool for people to hear, like, that's where, we're going and that's how sr fits into the st mission yeah they can pretty much if you can think of it like you can find a way to get into a mission set it's kind of one of the nice things about the way they rewrote the uh the cbtp is we have so many options that we can get into anything as long as you can articulate why you should be there and Big so fan of that. going back to to like the humanitarian aspect because uh you know pj's it's obvious what PJs are doing, combat controllers, it's, you know, it's airfield stuff, it's HLZs and that kind of stuff. Um, and what is SR doing in a humanitarian type mission? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, at that time, what I was doing was primarily the, uh, weather forecast for that, uh, actually like on the ground stuff. So not like looking out into any big, big picture things. Uh, and then kind of the terrain assessments, like actually, can we get aircraft in, uh, can we get vehicles around here? Like where like the, the hot spots, like where do we actually need to get people out? Like risk of uh, landslides, mudslides, anything like that. Like risk of like high flooding, like where we actually need to get uh, aircraft to go help people out. Okay. Okay. I mean, that, that all falls into recce, uh, you know, your, your full spectrum survey kind of stuff, which I know that you did a lot of when you were deployed to Africa and stuff like that. So, I mean, that's all real important stuff that people, it's easy to gloss over really. But you're, those things that you're, that information that you're providing provides a lot of, um, I'm trying, I'm, I'm skipping around because I'm trying not to use a bunch of acronyms like we've already used, uh, <laughs> like we've already used the hell out of people. So there are priority intelligence requests or reports, I think it's requests that are, are always floating out there and then people need, you know, answers to them and doing our surveys and doing that landslide assessments and avalanche assessments and all that kind of full spectrum stuff helps answer those intelligence requests basically yeah it's uh it's not always the sexy stuff like everybody wants to hear about but it's part of the job so and there's always things we're kind of doing in the background so even if it's not directly related to what we're what's going on we're always just collecting what we see what we're doing yeah, 100%. And that, that builds the bigger picture. And and that's why yeah. I love having 
SR in there. And w- we've all been really excited. Like, obviously, we're early adopters. Other than Trent, like, we love all SR guys. So <laughs> that's the worst. That guy's the worst. That's why we didn't invite him on. He doesn't answer any of the he questions anyway. He doesn't even know that this is happening right now. Okay. I'm to hear about that. We totally went behind his back. We're like, hey, we had to get an SR guy on. No, no, no. A real SR guy. You don't need to do that. <laughs> Um, but that, that's, that's a great, uh, you know, it, it, it's a great, at least like real world example of how it is that you fit into those mission sets and exactly how versatile SR is. So, you know, it's great to hear that again, you know, you weren't called that you, you were in the, in the transition phase as it were at the two, three, but you had a chance to see all those mission sets and now you can coherently explain, Hey, this is how we fit into this picture. And I do love what you said earlier. That's the greatest thing about SR is the ambiguity. Like, hey, are you supposed to be on this mission set? Oh, I'm totally supposed to be on this mission set. Let me tell you why. And you can say that in every mission. You can be like, Mm -hmm. hey, absolutely. I can provide you this capability. I can make you more capable. I can make you more lethal. I can make you more survivable. I can give you the information that you need to really be successful. Um, And that ambiguity is awesome. That's a great thing to have. Yeah, it's, it's not bad. It's made for some fun deployments of like uh like one minute you'll be hanging around playing call of duty and the next minute you're doing isr sensor taskings to like running get on a bird to go do like a, a mass call scenario like it's you can just get into anything it's it's pretty exciting and not everybody can do that yeah sure totally right yeah so that was your time at the two three and then you decided to move on that that the my vector popped up and you were like you know what i want to do i want to go be an instructor so i'm sure you volunteered for it i'm sure it wasn't something that just popped in your plate and and you found yourself at swick which used to be called prep it's a special warfare candidate course so tell us how you made that transition was was it was it truly something where you're like listen i want to go i want to be involved in this thing was it a target of opportunity how'd you find yourself there uh i was very excited to go and i love the person who recommended me for it. Nice. Uh, I was happy to come off the team. Um, not, Trent's, reality, not here. Like, Trent's not yeah. here, so you can just talk trash about him. <laughs> this is a safe space. Yeah. Yeah. I came kicking and screaming. Um, <laughs> but uh, in all reality, like it was time for me to, to change up things, uh, to get away from team, get a break, see something different. And uh, it's been good for my family to come here a little more downtime. Well, Maybe not more downtime, but definitely more home time. Like I come home every day. There's no TDYs. Uh, so that's nice. Um, but the transition was admittedly pretty rough uh, just because like you're so busy when you're on team like, and you don't realize how busy you're gone because you just get in that routine that as soon as you're not going TDY, you know, two, three weeks out of the month, you're not deploying. You're just doing a desk job. It's kind of a hard adjustment, I think, especially if you didn't necessarily volunteer for it. Sure. But yeah, it's but good. it's important stuff. I mean, oh, it, yeah. it's not, I mean, there, there's a lot in what you just said, believe it or not. Or, or, I mean, you know it, but everybody else doesn't know it, but it's, um, it's really important stuff. It's, it's that investment. We, we take good dudes that are solid dudes that are professional and kind of, epitomize what the career field is, put them as instructors and have them build uh, the foundational level and shape what the future of aspect war is. And 
that that is why Trent selected you. I mean, granted, I tried to poach you 100%. I tried to poach you to come up to the two, <laughs> two, but, uh, but I was overridden by Trent. See, that's yeah. who the real boss is. It's Trent. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm learning that. Yeah. <laughs> but, that's uh, the, no, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, it, it, honestly, like, like I joke about kicking and screaming, but it's, it's actually been a pretty good shift. I, I really enjoy working at Swick just because seeing the difference, like I'm, I'm interacting with candidates as soon as they're coming into BMT, like we work out with them for five days a week, all the way through BMT. And then we have them for seven, eight weeks before they go to ANS. So you get to see them and kind of, I don't want to say like throw your two cents at them, but like you get, you get to influence them before they are even in the pipeline. Like they're fresh. Uh, other than trying to have to, you know, clear up whatever misinformation you guys gave them. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I assume that there, there's a pretty good amount of that, of uh, just like, well, Aaron said, and you like, first of all, Aaron doesn't know anything, yeah. so shut your mouth. Like, Aaron and Peach just told me we can just do whatever we want. Rank doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I hope that's an actual conversation. Can you... uh? Can can you do me a favor and just kind of lay out for us? Because you mentioned it here and people ask us all the time, hey, am I going to get out of shape in basic training? But you just said it yourself that you actually get to work out with the candidates before you even see them at SWIC. As part of your job at the candidate course, you are over there in basic training and you actually get to work out and start providing mentorship all the way down at the basic training level. So can you kind of just describe what that program is and then what you guys offer to those basic training candidates? Yeah, uh, admittedly, I don't head up the program, um, so I can give you just kind of from my perspective of it. Uh, so you'll come into basic training, do all your in-processing, and then I think even in week one, we'll start sending cadre and coaches over there uh, to BMT, and we'll work out with you Monday through Friday. You'll get a mix of strength training via like sandbags and kettlebells. Uh, and then one day of this week, you'll go to the pool. Uh, where we'll just get you lap swimming and work on your form technique. Uh, and then Fridays, typically you have some type of weighted, not a ruck, but a, a weighted movement just to try to get your legs used to having extra weight on you. Uh, and that'll happen through all of BMT. You'll have cadre there that are there to get, offer mentoring. And then you'll actually have the same coaches that you have in the SWIT course will be there to help out as well. So you're getting like, literally the best of the best instruction that you can get from these coaches as you're in BMT. So you would have to actively try to get out of shape. <laughs> like, cause if we do the workouts, like they're pretty good workouts. Like you're not going to get out of shape by any means. Now, are you, are you guys taking them to the pool at all during that time? Or is that, that all that kind of yeah. stuff comes later? It's all land land based. No, so uh, once a week, they'll go to the pool. Uh, so each flight, there's typically four flights. We'll make up a what they call a cohort. Uh, and Monday through Thursday, they'll rotate with one flight going to the pool, and you'll get about an hour, maybe a little bit more in the morning in the pool. Uh, and when we talk about the pool, are we talking about uh, swimming, or are we it'll, doing it'll any subsurface stuff? Nothing subsurface. Uh, you have to pass the IFT before we can start working subsurface stuff. Um, but it'll be swimming. Make sure you guys are comfortable doing their 500s. So it'll be a lot of sprints and distance work. That's pretty awesome you guys are doing that now because that was one of the things that was identified uh, before before this was that, you know, uh, people would 
training, they would take what was in the past before coming in to basic training to make sure that they were good to do Air Force Special Warfare, come to basic, spend however many weeks in basic, you know, six to eight weeks in basic, depending on injuries and that kind of stuff in their class schedule. And then just so much, you know, let's say downtime that really, if you've been training for the past in the pipeline to then go from to doing essentially a, a couple of couple of push-ups, couple of sit-ups, maybe some pull-ups and a little bit of running plus not getting a whole lot of food intake or a whole lot of sleep intake, like you're going to get out of shape. Um, so it's, that's yeah. a really good program that they started. What is that about two years ago? They started doing that. I believe so. It was definitely started. Uh, I take it back. It was probably it was like right at the start of COVID, I believe. I don't know if we can say that, but it's better on the start of that. No, you can totally say it. It's going to get us demonetized because you're not allowed to talk about it. No. <laughs> COVID's essentially dead. I don't, as soon, as soon as that whole, like, uh, you know, yellow and blue flag thingy started, COVID so the next. right yeah. off the face of the planet. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was crazy. That, so that program, and I don't know how many times we've heard it, and, and, you know, I just want to give you guys kudos. Like, it's one of those things, when you started doing it, all of us were like, well, of course you would need operators to go over to the basic training flights and run them through. But all of us, like, we didn't think of it. You guys thought of it. And that's a perfect time to get in there. What are what are some of the things when you when you're talking to these candidates, especially at basic training, right? Because you're seeing them, they're adjusting to the military and they're trying to figure stuff out, and they they may not have the best idea of what they're getting into. What are some of those frequently asked questions that you're getting in basic training from the basic training candidates that you'd like to get out there now, so that people that can essentially like know these answers and prepare? Like, what are some common mistakes that you're seeing from the basic training? Yeah. Real quick, just to, to clear us up, the active duty will go over there, but it's primarily headed up by the the coaching staff. So I don't want to take away from them. They're the guys who are, they're guys and, and women keeping everybody in shape. Like they they put in a lot of extra time and work to, to yeah. do that. Um, yeah, questions that I've seen a lot of are uh, some people. I don't I don't know how they get the information or what where they they think they got the information, but they'll ask some questions that are so wazoo and specific that they have to be talking to somebody in the career field. I'm like, I'm not like, I don't know. Most of it comes from their, they're not worried about their, their five meter target, right? Like they're worried about like, Hey, after I get my bray, can I go out and work with the seal team? Like, yeah, but you got to pass your IFT first. Probably focus on that. <laughs> um, and usually those are the guys in my experience, the ones that are more worried about like the two, three years down the road of like the, what's the nitty gritty like on team those guys are the ones who aren't aren't ready and they'll fail out either their initial IFT or they'll, they'll quit during SWIC. Um, I think I haven't had the boot question. Like I know when I went through the boot question was like all the time, like what's every operator wear? Like what's the best boot? And uh, I haven't had that one yet. I was looking forward to it, but I haven't had it. Um, We have. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, do you, I was gonna say, do you want me to just to print off the DMs? What's the day to day like? What do, What do you do when you don't deploy? Uh, when you do deploy, what do you do? What kind of boots are you wearing? Can I go to sniper school? When do I get to do, do Jason Bourne stuff? Like we have so many questions. Yeah, uh, I, I'm blanking out on like the big ones because some of them are like I said are, are so specific that they just throw you off. That like I, I've never right. been asked that in my life. I don't, I don't know what toothpaste I used while I was deployed. Like, 
I used toothpaste. <laughs> uh, so I got, yeah, I wish I had a better answer, but like there's, it's a lot of the stuff that hasn't, doesn't have to do with training. Um, and really, I, I would say if you're coming in, focus on get through BMT, focus on get through SWIC, then hey, like just keep looking at the next school. Otherwise, you're going to get distracted and bogged down. And those are the people who come into the cadre office and are like, I've lost my why. What do I do from here? Like, I can't help yes. you if you don't have it. Yes, essentially the, the whole, you know, football player on the football field, wide receiver, ball gets thrown to him. He's already thinking about the end zone. Takes his eye off the ball, automatically starts turning, and drops it. Like, hey, yep. <laughs> that's an issue. Guess what? You didn't make the completion, right. so get, no touchdown. Got to have the catch before you get the touchdown, my guy. Yeah, exactly. And we tell people that, or we try to all the time, is, you know, focus on the five-meter target. Focus on, like, just get your initial fitness test done to where you can just, like, do it all the time and it doesn't become a worry. We have people that are still, like, I don't know. I don't know how my IFT is going to go this week. And at the same time, they're like, okay, so when I get to request, if I get to work with Ken, or SEAL Team 6 on my first deployment, who should I work with? And we're like, hey, guy, yeah, you don't even, you, you're running a 15-minute mile right now. Like, we got other yeah, problems. bigger issues. Yeah, I would say uh, if you're borderline on your IFT, like, it's not the time for you. Um, you need to be able to come in comfortably, knock that out. Like, you should roll out of your bed on your worst day and be able to pass that. Uh, just kind of, like, that's what we used to say about the AFSOC. Like, on your, you should be, like, on your deathbed, roll over, and still be able to do an AFSOC. So same thing with the IFT, because if, uh, if you can't do that, like you can't even start the course. So lifting weights doesn't matter. Rucking doesn't matter because we won't take you. We've, we've dropped people for being a second over on the run. We've dropped people for not touching the wall on their underwater and popping up like this far away. They just didn't touch the wall and pop. They dropped from the course. So they don't even start. Like it's, it's very strict in that standard. Like nothing's going to be bent or broken. There's not going to be like, oh, well, yeah, you could have made it. Not giving it to you. If you don't pass, you don't pass. You don't start. Man, it's almost like we've said that before, but you're hearing it from an actual instructor instead of some random dudes on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some, some, some random yeah. chucklehead. <laughs> so, um, oh, go but ahead. That's, that's Im- yeah. Yeah, but that's important for everybody to hear, too, because we do have people that, you know, listen to the, the podcasts that are in the career fields. But I think it's important to highlight, like, hey, guys, this isn't. Candyland, you're not just showing up and getting massages every day and whatever. Like we have immutable standards that are not changing, and it's still hard. And you guys are you guys are bearing that standard forward. So I love highlighting it when we hear it. I don't think it gets out there enough, but I think people have a misconception of you know the basic training program and then the SWIC program in general, which is you know one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on. That and you're the best SR guy in the Air Force well, uh, no, to include Trent. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need that getting around. Not my words. Uh, not my words. No. <laughs> so uh, talking about the graduating basic training and that kind of what happens, they graduate basic training that like that day. And then what happens? So they'll graduate basic training and then we'll have uh, cadre typically at the course chief. And then the MTLs will go over and pick them up and bring them over to SWIC. And then they'll spend a couple of days in processing, kind of doing like zero week style stuff, uh, getting their initial issue, uh, kind of doing their initial team building, like who's who kind of thing. Uh, and then that following Monday, it's right into the course. 
so it's, it's not a quick or it's it's a pretty quick transition uh basically just enough time for them to get their equipment set up their bunks figure out where chow is and who to talk to if you're hurt or if you want to quit so do you get many people that that quit during that that zero week like that are just so oh. they've been thinking about it during the entire basic training and then they get here and it's it's actually oh oh crap i'm actually about to start and then screw this yeah uh i don't have the exact number um i want to say ballpark the last bmt was around 20 ish that right before they even started they quit we had a few prior service guys that came in hadn't even in process yet but they took the time to get the flights over quit uh so it's i think it's that like that anticipation right like you're on the the tail of like a bird about to jump out and it's like do i really want to jump out of this plane like i think that's what's getting to them because they they don't start they just they get right there and technically they're not allowed to quit so we had like well you have to start the course anyway you have to go take the test because i can't drop you from a course you haven't started so right you have you're not even in a course yet and that that's where when people people will hear this stuff and they'll be like yeah we heard you're not allowed to quit like you're gonna make it through no it's it's largely an admin issue your little number hasn't been assigned to my little course. So therefore I can't remove you from something you're not in. You have to do an event before I can actually remove you. That's crazy to me though, that 20 yeah. people showed up and were just like, you know what? Been training for six months. I just went through air force basic training. I've been talking to you guys this entire yeah. time. I don't think this is for me. What, how, how do you, how do you even counsel those people? Like what, what does the conversation even uh, sound like? <laughs> yeah. I don't really have a good answer to that. It's kind of just <laughs> asking like why, and they've already had their minds made up. Like you can, yeah, I don't want to. You said that some of these are prior like, service, um, right? Yeah, we had a few prior service guys that quit, and usually with them, it's like, oh, I I didn't train enough, or like I've got an injury that's already nagging me. So like, I can't speak to how well that is, but on the other side of it, there's a lot of guys trying to come in, and if you knew you weren't even going to start, why'd you take the flight over here? You just kind of took somebody's spot. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, wild. So, so let's talk about yeah. good stuff then. Let's not talk <laughs> about that population. Let's talk. Let's talk the population that gets off the bus and you know, 100% these people are locked in. Like, what does that candidate look like for you? When you're like, when you look at them and you're like, that's what I want. I want 135 of these hitters going. Uh, so the ones I'm looking for are like, they don't have to be, it's, it's hard to like pick physically the ones that are the one what you're looking for. Uh, I primarily look for teamwork, good communication. If you can do those two things, like the SWIC course is designed to, to get you physically where you need to be. So like if you can already come in and work with a team and you can communicate effectively, that's what I'm looking for. We can train everything else. So personally, I think some guys looking for like the big guys, okay. like the, it's funny. You'll see the guys that come in, they already have like the slick back hair, the, the, the dual sleeves, like, oh man, that guy might make it. And then they jump in the pool and they're like walking on the bottom. Like, Sorry, not for you. It's like they already have the, uh, the, it's like they got the operator basic starter pack skin <laughs> on whatever video game they're using. Like, Full sleeve, slick hair, sort of mustache, oh, like scowl. Like, scowl, why are you yeah. so mad? You just got out of basic training. Why are you? Yeah, take it easy. Was filled with flannel, flannel and jeans, five eleven. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, in yeah. chucks, they've got Chuck Taylors, they've got flannel. Yeah, that's the, it. 
and some silver bracelets. Oh, there really is Everyone. a stereotype. That's Holy a, cow. It's so bad. It's a stereotype because yep. it's true. Um, so to talk a little bit about the, the organizational structure, because you mentioned it. You were like, we're going to get you there. You're going to do zero week and people figure out who's who on the team. We get questions a lot like, I want to I want to show that I'm a leader. I want to show that I'm a team player. How can they do that? So everybody is put together kind of on this same level. Everybody is, you know, there's got to be some structure to it because it's mm -hmm. the military and we do have cross trainees. So there's going to be NCOs floating around. It'll be, you know, senior airmen or people with prior experience. So for those people that are coming fresh in off a of basic, how can they show, you said you, you want to see communication and you want to see them being a team player, like assimilate <laughs> into the team, right? So what does that look like? So how can they how can they show you the cadre? Like I'm here for the team. I'm doing what I'm supposed to, and I am a leader at my level. So, uh, it all goes to like yeah, like their level, right? So like I don't expect an airman to jump like right out of BMT to jump up and be like all right, I'm going to lead all 230 of this class and start directing everything. Like the initial portion of that is going to be the NCOs that are come in are just naturally because of rank. That's how it's going to fall into kind of the order. Uh, and then what we're looking for is who's going to be getting their stuff squared away and then not just standing around with, you know, my tents up, who's going over and helping move bags, who's actually helping the guys who are not so squared away, get squared away. Um, good communication, like right time, right place, right uniform. Cause essentially that's what it boils down to for them at a low level. And I think you'd be surprised how, how much they struggle with right time, right place, right uniform. Right. The, the ones that are pushing guys to be there where they need to be, those are the ones that typically will start pushing into leadership roles, uh, especially if the NCOs aren't performing well. It's not a given that you're going to be in charge. Like, if you suck as a leader and you're an NCO, we'll fire you. Like, there's no, no worries about that. Um, and then that turns into a whole other system of problems because now we're, this NCO thinks he's going to be in charge is now having to listen to an airman. And it's just... It makes it an interesting dynamic. I want to see who's a good follower as well. But uh, yeah, that's it's, it's hard to, to just put it into words specifically. Like you just know when you look at it, like that is what I want. I want a teammate who is he sees somebody else that's struggling, and he's going over and helping carry his weight, right? And not saying anything about it, not looking for recognition. Like uh, we talked earlier about how the students kind of portray me as always hiding behind trees and being in the background. To some degree, I actually do that because I like to see, especially if they don't know I'm there, what they do because they will have like, not all of them, some of them will have two sides like the, this is how I perform in front of cadre and this is how I perform when it's just me and my Oh, yeah. Kids. So, and you'd be surprised how Spotlight that. Rangers, man. Oh, it, it, they do a, a very quick flip on that. Like, uh, I went to the, the dorms the other day to just do a quick, like, very brief inspection. I hadn't even made it out of the dorm, like, the bay. And they were already screaming and yelling. I just kind of stood there for five minutes. I was like, wow, okay. This is how you're going to treat each other. Awesome. So fantastic. I, I, I love doing that too as an instructor. Well, uh, so, you know, there I think would be you're muted, times. AA, Ron. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, your mic's not working. I guess I'm up. Well, I had a, yeah, I had a question I, for you then because you, you talked about <laughs> two things. One is, and, and I want to hit both of them, but more is, one is a comment. Like in terms of the leadership aspect, um, when we say, Hey, you need to be a leader. It's not a, Hey, follow me. I'm in charge. You will listen to what I say. It's not that you can be a leader and be the lowest ranking person 
or the youngest person on that team. And it's not always a, hey, everybody listen to what I'm saying. Sometimes it's a one-on-one, like, hey, man, let me let me talk to you. Let me get you through this. Like, let's talk about what's, you know, crushing you right now, whether it's physical stuff, whether it's stuff back home. Like, it could be that simple. Um, so that's what we talk about when it's being a leader. It, it, yes, it is also the, hey, you know, I have this natural leadership instinct and people will listen to me and, and follow me in a direction because, hey, I'm, I'm once more into the breach kind of thing. But um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I know. Um, the other part is teamwork. Like it's real easy to throw out that word teamwork, but as far as SWIC goes, like what is a good teammate or what is good teamwork at SWIC? Uh Good teamwork there really boils down to, uh, and I don't want to steal this. I think it was uh, Messer and Dan Keller was the one who kind of boiled down to these of like team gear, teammates, my gear, me. The, the guys that can uh, do that, those are the ones who are the best teammates, I think, because they they put the team first, right? Make sure like the mission set's getting done with the team gear. They're always prepped, ready to go. Then they're taking care of the individual, kind of what you talked about, make sure their teammates themselves are good. Then they're worried about themselves and their gear. And then last is actually their, their own person. I think the guys that can do that, they will do really well on a team because they already have it set in their mind of team first, then me. The individuals that the first thing they do is they go and score themselves away. Those guys, they, they may pass physically, but down the road, like they may get peered out, which there are like, yeah, that, that can happen. Oh, we're going to talk yeah. about that too, because <laughs> I love, I love the peer review um, action, but just to, to highlight what you just said, that that's an amazing way to think about it. And as my time as an instructor, when I saw those people that would put themselves first and they'd square their own gear away and they weren't thinking about it, those people were also the, the, the people that were most likely in my eyes to quit, to be the first to, to like single out an event. Because if you're thinking, okay, team mission first, I've got to focus on this team mission thing first. And then I've got to focus on the team gear. And then everybody around me like, hey, is this guy okay? Is his gear okay? And I'm not worried about how hurt I am. I'm not worried about how I'm feeling. I'm not getting in my own head about, oh, what's next? And are we going to get smoked or, or anything else? You're thinking about a completely mm-hmm. different thing. Those people are stronger candidates, yeah. period. If you're thinking about yourself first and the only thing you can focus on is, is my gear okay? I'm tired. I don't know what's going to come next. You are, you are so far behind the power curve and you can see right. it. And, and I love what you said earlier. Sometimes you can't explain or articulate, but you can point it out when you yeah. see it. And you, I can tell you right now, if I, you know, 100 people in front of me doing some selection task, I can tell you who's thinking, okay, this event needs to get done. That's my mission. And then I need to make sure the team gear can support this mission. I can tell you to a person, this person has their priorities in order and these people yeah. don't. Yeah, it's, it's easy to see. It's hard to explain in words. Right. Because it's not tangible or it's, I mean, yeah. I guess there is some, some aspects of it are, that are tangible, but like, that's why I asked you, you know, cause I have my own definition of being a good teammate, good team player and that kind of stuff. Um, yep. But hearing other people's definitions and definitely different ways to, to articulate it. Like, 
Dan said it a good way, you know, team, team gear, teammates, personal gear, personal, whatever, yeah, you know, yeah. like that, that's really good. I had, I would always, yeah, yeah. I like and that. I was always equated to like, Hey, if you're on a, if you're on the pool deck or, or you just get done with a dive um, and every, you know, all the tanks, all the gear, the buoys and everything are all, all on the boat. Um, and then I'm taking my personal gear to the truck to load up versus while, while everybody else is unloading tanks, which are heavy, you know, tanks onto the dock and that kind of stuff. While everybody's doing that, I'm sitting here loading my stuff into the truck and then I'm coming back. Like I'm, I'm, I'm wrong. Like that's not being a good team player because everybody else is taking care of the stuff that I should be also involved in. And to those dudes, (laughs) when you went and did the inspection to those dudes that are sitting there yelling at people, like I think about it this way. Who are you going to get to follow you more, whether you're sitting there yelling at people or if you can just remain calm, have an even keel, whether it's good, bad, ugly, whatever, um, you just maintain the same demeanor and press on like yeah. just throwing that out there. Not saying I'm a great leader because I'm not, but like I'm just I've got an even keel kind of like well, <laughs> I, was, I, I was I was laughing. I was laughing because he was just describing uh, him at the unit and me at the unit because we get to work together. Like, I'm just, I just yell. That's my default mode. Like, you'll respect me. I default to rank. Be like, refer to me by my whole rank. Uh, and then I just scream at people. That's really, it's my MO. And then Peaches gets to come in. He's like, hey, guys. And everybody loves him. Always, and always, always it's a nice dynamic. Uh, <laughs> speaking of people that are uh, terrible to an organization like myself. So let's talk peer reviews. Right. So there's a whole other aspect to this. And this is one of my favorite things that we've injected into the the art that is our selection process, because it's a lot of science, but there's a lot of art involved too, of peer reviews and really getting feedback from the team. This is huge because, you know, Peaches and I, over our careers, we've worked with um, so many people that fit this description. For some people, I am this description, but it's this guy is great. He's tactically proficient. Okay, fine. He knows how to do the job but I can't stand being around him in the team room. He is just a cancer to the culture and we don't like this guy, right? I love that we've injected these peer reviews so that you can kind of pull the curtain back when you're not there, when you don't have kind of, because everybody, and I'll say it as, you know, as transparently as I can, when you're, when you're in a school and when you're in a selection course, of course, you are presenting what you think the cadre want to see. We, you can't help but get away from it, right? You want to get selected. So you're trying to emulate those things. Some people that masks who they truly are, right? And the peer review process is meant to to show you, no kidding, like, okay, is this person really a team player? Or are they just doing it for the cadre? So can you talk, um, you know, about the peer review process and then how people can be successful? Yeah. Uh, so I can't speak about it to selection. I just want to make this known. I don't work at selection. Okay. Uh, and so I don't want to speak yeah, to for their sure. process if they do or don't do anything like that there. Uh, at the SWIG course, we've started implementing it. Uh, to get that better idea of what's actually going on behind the scenes because it's very difficult for us, especially when we were uh, kind of minimally manned at the time. Uh, now that we're the 2-2 South, we we got plenty of people. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but at the time, it was, it was difficult welcome. to have 200 people, right? And you had yeah. four cadre to observe <laughs> all of them. Like you're not, you're missing things. So uh, we, we've kind of started like doing a, a rack and stack. Um like top five, bottom five, and then implementing feedback 
from the team themselves and then actually from the cadre. So just because it makes it a little bit easier, they can actually get something out of it. Because for some people, they, they don't know, or maybe they're just, they don't want to know. They don't realize that they're jacked up. And so it, for somebody to actually call them out, because for some reason, we're very hesitant to call each other out, or the candidates are very hesitant to call each other out uh, professionally. It's, instead of like, hey, like, you're messed up because of X, Y, or Z, it's, you suck. You're the reason we're getting smoked. You got to go. <laughs> Uh, right. So right. trying to implement that in there. A, in a yeah. Professional thing. Like it, that's hard. Even, mm -hmm. I mean, even, even now I don't like, it's not fun telling people how messed up they are and why, like, Hey, you did this wrong. Like it's, it's just, it's a learned behavior that takes time and, and it's constantly having to be uh worked through. Yeah. It's I, something that I was never like comfortable with. Like I was never like, a super social person. And so like, especially with your peers, like people want to be more lenient on their peers. Uh, but that's the person you should be probably the most hard on. Um, so I didn't start learning that until I was on team. Uh, so if I can start implementing that now and having these guys already start, figure that out and get comfortable with it, it's going to pay dividends because they're physically, they're going to be strong. Now we just got to get the rest of it there. So. It, hold on, okay. hold on a second. Well, I, I want to talk God, about the, you, oh, go ahead. you interrupt and joke way too much yeah. oh, <laughs> there you go bad. there there's some pre peer review right there <laughs> how you see it this is the feedback no but all, all i wanted to add add on to that Spence, was uh, uh um like i and i'm speaking from you know I, I know that you and aaron haven't worked together but you and i worked together aaron and i worked together um and, and you talk about the the people that we should probably be the most critical of or at least be willing to provide the most feedback are your friends and your coworkers. And as, as somebody like, if I messed up, I want you guys to tell me like, if I am doing something, because more than likely I'm, I'm not doing it with intent or malicious intent or anything like that. It's just something that I'm just not aware of. So hmm. providing that feedback to me and letting me know, it's kind of like, um, if, if I borrowed, 50 bucks from somebody. Right. And it's been a couple of weeks and I've just, I legitimately forgot like, and I still owe it to you. Remind me. Cause I'm not purposely trying to stiff you out of money. It's just, I have forgotten. So please let me know. It's just, it's just like that. If I am messing up, just let me know. Like I want that feedback, especially from my peers. Yeah. And it's going to be, you're going to be better for it. Like if I can call you out and it, it gets the situation fixed, a lot of time it can save them some pain down the road in particular to, the pipeline. Yep. Proceed, Aaron. Absolutely. Let's let's. <laughs> Thank you, Chief. Uh, there was a knife hand. In there uh, let's talk about those. Let's talk about those uh, those bottom five, right? So we have a top five and a bottom five. What are the common common problems that are landing uh, guys and girls in that bottom five? So there has to be some. There has to be like some sort of common trait where you're like, ah, oh, this person, you know, they're they go to sleep early or this person has bad personal hygiene. What are, what are the things that are landing them in that bottom? Five? Usually it goes back to the two things I look for, which is communication or teamwork. Either they're really poor at communicating. Uh, just like, again, it's kind of like that whole sense of like, instead of actually saying and being direct what the issues are, they'll just kind of like F you, F this, F that, and then nobody wants to work with them. Um, or they're the ones who in front of cadre, they're, 
picking up the most weight and making sure everybody's got water in their water bottles. And as soon as Kadri turn around, they're gone. They're like in their bed, ready to go to sleep. Uh, or they're they're the ones who don't do their details. Like they're not actually cleaning the hallways or doing the latrines or they're not the ones that are like emptying out the dryer went. And so they break the dryers, which happens a lot. Uh, like, or they, yeah, it's usually just the ones that they do actions that have been addressed and they don't fix it because they think this is an individual course. This whole pipeline is individual. It's me trying to get my beret, not us trying to get our berets. Usually that's what lines people on the bottom. Occasionally you see somebody who's like, that guy sucks because he can't do pull-ups. But the vast majority of the time, it's, it's an actual teamwork or communication issue or some variation of that. Okay. And then I assume the people that are landing in the top five consistently, like that that focus group, those are those are the people that are truly putting out for their team, and they see it as a as a team event, putting that team and mission first, as opposed to themselves. Is there anything else they're doing that that's making them successful? No, they they really just uh, again from my perspective, the ones who really drive home, like we can see them driving at home of uh, the like teamwork first, team before self, uh, and typically the ones that are up there are every now and then you'll get like an NCO. Uh, and then a lot of the time it's like a, a junior enlisted who is like risen through and demonstrated over the last seven weeks, or in case of a BMT flight, the last 12 to 14 weeks that they're for the team, they're for the, everybody getting through. Like they're the ones staying up late, making sure everyone's gear squared away. They're the ones waking up early, making sure, you know, the equipment's staged for the next event. Like those are the guys who typically rise to the top. So switching, well, not switching gears really, but, um, in order to, so I, I get to the end of SWIC, um, during SWIC, am I just taking IFTs or am I taking a CFT and then, or is it just, I'm doing the, the CFT upon graduation? How does that work? No. So, uh, you'll take your IFT to get in. Uh, so you'll, you'll take two, you'll take one at BMT and then you'll take your IFT when you show up. So if you fail that IFT, when you show up, uh, it's not, it's not good. Most likely you're being stopped from the course. Uh, so you're not going to start. Um, unless you're hurt or something, but it's different. And then usually weeks two and four, you'll get right into doing a CFT. So the, the candidate fitness test, uh, which is the, the longer ruck, the swim, like you're doing deadlifts, all the kind of the combine style events. Uh, and then you'll do one at the very end as well. And then additionally, you'll do a, uh, it's kind of like a combat water survival test light um, where you'll go into the deep end with your ruck, full uniform, helmet, weapon. Uh, you have to go to the bottom, ditch all your equipment, and then rise to the surface of your weapon, and you'll have to swim across the pool. Uh, that has gotten a lot of people, but that is an official exit standard now. Uh, usually it comes down to people just kind nice. of uh, are uncomfortable with swimming. And so they'll start kind of panicking while they're trying to swim, even though all week long they've, they've demonstrated they can do it or all the whole course they've demonstrated they're just fine. Use like test anxiety and then they'll, they'll start like, oh man, this is a literally a, a go, no go event. So if you fail that, you don't pass the course. So hopefully you get washed back. If not, you can be eliminated completely. So for those CFTs that you're taking at week, I think you said two and four. Two are four those... and the last week. Okay, so obviously the last the last CFT you got to take, you got to pass. Do you have to pass that 
that uh, that first CFT, or is that kind of like a a progress check kind of thing? So you you need to pass it. Uh, admittedly, I have not seen anybody fail the CFT since I've been here. Um, so I need to get into that and, and get a better answer for you because I don't know. I haven't had to deal with that personally yet. Um, so I'll get back to you and give you an answer because I don't know. But what I would imagine is going to happen is if you fail the first time, you're going to get like remedial training, uh, identify what happened, and then we'll work with coaches to get you built up and you'll have to pass it the next time. That being said, so you do need to pass the final one. Uh, all your scores cumulatively from your IFT to your last CFT and the, the water survival test, all those scores will go into a big calculator that'll determine how likely you are to get the job that you want. So you're going to want to pass those tests as much as you can, get the best scores you can. And that's uh, another part of this that I, I'm really glad you brought it up, but people always ask us, okay, well, I'm going in SWOV. I don't have a job, but I want to be a special reconnaissance mm -hmm. or I want to be pararescue or whatever. So you're telling me that's how they can actually affect that process. Yeah. Can you just expound on that a little bit more? So it's awesome that you guys have predictors. Like if you score this, then you'll be qualified for these jobs. That's, that's awesome. Can you tell us like some tips and tricks for, for people that come in, let's say they do want to be SR. Mm -hmm. So when they get there, can you give them the roadmap of here's how, here's how you need to perform. You don't need to put like specific numbers to it, but how can you guarantee that you get the job that you want? So the best way you can guarantee that you're going to get the job you want is, uh, so when you come in week three of SWIC, you're going to put like kind of a dream sheet, like your top, top choice, uh, put that on there. And hopefully by this point, after three weeks, usually people have kind of got it figured out. Um, that we'll digress here is, uh, usually everyone comes in and wants to be a PJ. And then they do the first two weeks, three weeks okay, in the pool. Perfect. That makes sense. And then by week three, right. you'll have like a line out the course chief's door. It's like, we want to go tag P. So have an idea about then what you okay. want to go. Because once you put it on that week three, that's about a 95 to 99% solution for where you're going to go as long as your test scores meet it. And so your test scores, your PT test, that's all going to be kind of accumulated. And so the higher your, your PT score, the more likely you are to get the job that you chose. If I wanted to go SR and I've got one of the top PT scores, I'd say it's about, a, like I said, like a 99% chance I'm going SR. Uh, if I put, I wanted to be uh, a controller and I like get a borderline score that's like really on the cusp, but they need more tag P's, they may drop me over the tag P because somebody else got a higher score. Um, and when I say drop over, there's in the class, there's a percentage of what we have to have as far as uh, what group is going to go to uh, special tactics or special warfare, uh, not a special warfare, but, uh, like AFSOC style, and then what size is going to go to ACC, like uh, TACP and whatnot. So ideally, you want to have that figured out before you come in, and then you can have a dream sheet, and then, like I said, the, the score is going to decide how likely you are to actually get that. So it's not like, I want to be SR, I realize I'm rambling. I want to be SR. I need to get these, this score to get that job. It's I come in, I know what I want and I just need to perform because the, the better I perform it, the better chance I have of getting that. Right. And I think that's the biggest, the, the biggest explanation there is because you mentioned, Hey, if you want to go controller, but you're just barely making it, it's not a, Hey, you're lesser. It's they're looking at the, the 
percentile chances of you actually making it through the course. It's not a, hey, you weren't quite good enough, bounce. It's just uh, they're looking at the, the statistics. And from and, and maybe you you have this answer, but I want to say from before you even come in, they are, are um, kind of keeping score or at least uh, gathering data on you in terms of uh, yeah. because, you know, we, we invest a lot of money into the recruiting, the development of candidates that are coming in. So from that point all the way through well beyond where you're at, uh, in the pipeline, but they are keeping um, all this data to help build a picture of the person you are, whether it's physical testing, peer reviews, and that kind of stuff. So if it's not looking like you're going to make it, at least in, in those um, high physical tiers, then then you're going to they're going to bounce. They're going to find a better place for you. Um, but I mean, when I was out there. They had briefed that it was like a 97 or 98 percent. Everybody gets exactly what they want. So if you're worried about it, just perform and you'll be all right. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's really what it comes down to, just perform. And uh, I also want to kind of go back when I was talking about kind of the controller getting drops tech. Usually it's the other way around where, like I told you, people suck in the water. Or they realize they, it's not for them. Usually people are fighting for the tack piece slots because there's fewer tack piece slots than anything else. And it's people trying to compete to get those spots. Really? Oh yeah, it's it's very competitive to go tack pee. Interesting. That is awesome. That is interesting input. So why why is it so competitive for people to go tack pee? I think so there's the individuals that come in that want to be tack pee. Uh and then there's the other part that came in, like kind of the open general and they're like, or open special warfare. And they think they're going to be in the water, but I think maybe they just haven't, they didn't fully understand what they were getting into. Because uh, we don't do super heinous water sessions, uh, but we do introduce them to like buddy breathing underwater. It's like all the water con events, right? Uh, water skills. Uh, and usually by then, like they decide, well, we'll, it's not for me. I don't want to go do pre-dive. I don't want to do ANS. Right. I don't want to do... Uh, and so then there's a mad dash to try to fill the remaining tag piece slots uh, because they think that... Well, I can say they think that. They're, they give the perception that tag piece is going to be easier, and it's not. Uh, their course is heinous. Absolutely heinous. Yep. So... Yep. Yeah, I don't... And guess what? They're swimming now, on. too. <laughs> Oh yeah, they they still swim. Yeah. What, yeah, you still swim. Like all the, yeah, all the way through Swick, they will still swim, and they're like, "Oh, it's done." And then they go do like block one, two, three, four, and they're swimming. Like times are changing. So, yeah, yeah. Thanks. No big deal. Um, so the the one thing that we always ask all of our guests, and you're in a, a prime position to do this, right? Is for your piece of advice. So there's a whole group of people, be it cross trainees people coming in right off the street, people that are in depth right now, they want to be successful and they want to do one of these jobs, right? Like there's a whole pool of people sitting in Swovey right now, waiting to see your shining face down at SWIC and down in a, a joint base San Antonio. So what piece of advice would you give to those candidates 
to get to where you are now, like as the SR guy that you are working with peaches on, on red team and gold team down at the two, three and having the experience that you've had. And, and now you're trying to grow that next generation and really make your career field into something that we all think it can be. What piece of advice would you give to those candidates that are getting ready to come in right now? Uh, if you can get into like a team sport or something that usually those people tend to be more successful because they don't have to learn how to be a teammate. Um, and then as far as actually getting here and starting, run, swim, cows, because if you can't do that, you won't even start the course and your, your story doesn't begin. Uh, I know we, we used to talk about that before. Like, like when I came in at 11, it was, if you could run, like it was your world. And now that's not necessarily the case. Like once you start the pipeline, like you have to be able to move heavy weight. Uh, that being said, if you can't run to pass the initial PT test, you're never going to have to lift that heavyweight anyway. So being able to start the course is probably more important than anything else. We'll teach you how to lift. Like we have phenomenal, like literally the best coaches out there to teach you how to, to lift weights, how to swim, how to run, uh, like the best nutritionists. They have people that will, if you have injuries, they, they will fix those things. So as if they never happened, um, but it doesn't matter if you don't start the course. So train to start. I think we have 50, 50 something students right now that either failed or were washed back for, for failing PT events that are just sitting there miserable. They're hoping to get another shot. And you turn that, uh, that two, two and a half year pipeline into a four. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It adds up. Yeah, it absolutely does. Well, Spence, appreciate you joining us today. I, I think uh, everybody can see why you're kind of, you know, the Swick creeper or the Swick cheetah, whatever you want to, whatever you want to no. call it. Cause you got, you got this cool calm demeanor and you're just kind of just talking, just talking and then wham, jump right up behind you. Cause you didn't even know I was there. So not surprised. Thanks for joining us. Uh, and for everybody out there, don't forget to like, subscribe, leave us a review. Um, you know, tell us how funny Aaron is or not. You know, we're here for it. So you guys have a good one. Later. Shout out later. Train hard.